Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Annette Marie Lantos Tilleman Dick. And I'm Nylan McBain. And Nylan, it's so wonderful having you back with us this Thank week. You. It's just great having you with us and the amazing insights you had last week. We're looking forward to another week with you. Thank you. Today we're talking about Acts chapters 6 through 9. And there there is some pretty sad beginnings here when we talk about Stephen and the story of Stephen and what happens to him. But in many ways, Stephen is a type or an archetype for some of the other stories that we're going to be talking about, because basically we have this interesting kind of a, of, of a type of the Savior as well, in that if we look at Acts 6 and also Acts 7 and review some of the statements that Stephen makes to some of the statements that our Lord and Savior made during the last week of his life, there are a lot of similarities. And so we have, I'm just going to point out a few of them. It, it says here how Stephen was full of faith, power, and did great wonders and miracles among the people. So this is uh, chapter 6, verse 8. And then basically he's brought in front of the council, just like Peter was. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Right there, you would think that would be like a little like, uh, maybe we shouldn't do anything to this man who has a face of an angel, that there might be a reason why he was preaching the gospel to people. But then at the end, after, and we're going to go on to talk about his beautiful speech, but I wanted to go to the end in terms of talking about his similarities between him and the Savior, because Similar to the Savior, when they heard the words of Stephen, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth, which I don't understand. I mean, why? But, but we have a very similar saying with the way that they reacted to the Savior, where it just cut them to the heart. Well, and were, to the point they where they're, a lot. <laughs> they were pricked a lot. A lot. They, were, they, they were. were feeling And this hurt. translation says they ground their teeth at him. They ground Ooh. a little bit. Okay, so they yeah. didn't grind it no, on, on him. <laughs> I didn't think they ground it on him, but they were just, they were so... Just so angry. enraged, yeah. yeah. Thank you so for that insight, because I... And of angry and for so profoundly threatened. Yeah. He laid things out beautifully, because Moses, you know, I mean, for Jews, everybody knows that Moses said, another will be raised up like unto me. Okay, well, you know, what does that mean? They weren't in, in Egypt anymore. There are all kinds, you know, th were they expecting them to be led out? People might have thought they were going to be led out of bondage from the Romans, you know, that right. they, wouldn't, they wouldn't have the Romans as their overlords anymore. That would be a very political and um, sort of worldly interpretation of this spiritual message. And they would have liked that. They, oh, they yes. They would have liked and, that And message. in fact, many people hoped for that. And when they realized that wasn't what Jesus was about, that made them discount him. Right. But Stephen lays out, and we'll talk about it later, so clearly. Well, go ahead. Just go ahead, and then I'll, well, I'll finish I the mean, story. I have never more powerfully felt how the Savior was like unto Moses mm -hmm. than when I once again, after having read it many times, read this speech that St Stephen makes. I'm going to use these because it's um, 
easier for me to see it if it stays in the right place. Um, but um, he, Stephen, who is chosen, I, I, I have to go back to this because I think it's funny. So the apostles are being bugged because they aren't attending to the widows enough. They aren't attending to some of the pastoral duties of the church and of the people because, you know, the Jewish faith also was organized in a way that people, there was like a relief society mm -hmm. and people did help one another. And so these Jewish members of this, who now had embraced this great new truth, were feeling that they weren't getting enough care. For well, they're living the law of consecration as well. And so at this point, everything is one. They've given up all of their worldly goods to combine with everyone else. And so. But there are widows who need something. Right, and, right. And, and so they, they call another group. They say seven. It's, I think it's like, you know. Um, 70. 70, yeah. I, I love that it must be like the 70, but it's mm -hmm. also... Like in any ward that we're in, um, there's a lot of delegation mm -hmm. of responsibility, and they begin to delegate. And Stephen is chosen because um, they were looking for men who are honest, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who they can put over these things so that so that the apostles don't need to wait tables. I was a little bit, mm -hmm. I thought that was funny. You know, it was mm -hmm. it seemed a little um, much, but but. Um, they, they call them, they lay their hands, and then Steve, Stephen, full of faith and power, does all these great miracles. And he is called before the council. And what he, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken, the father of glory appeared unto our father Abraham, was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. It's Haran, it's not Charon. Charon. I was listening <laughs> to it, on, and the guy said, before he dwelt in Karen. I was like, no, not Karen, Haran, you know, it's, um, which we know from um, Abraham. And he goes through the story of Abraham and the covenant Abraham makes. And the, but then he comes to um, Moses and he says, Moses, and because this is the thing, we knew, they, everybody knew that a prophet would be raised up like unto Moses. This was an important thing he said. He was exceedingly fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. He went, he was cast out because all the children were cast out. Um, I mean, the, the parallels between the Savior suddenly, you know, how the Savior was cast out as right. a baby right. because they were going to kill all the babies. Um, he was full 40 years. He came into his heart to visit his brethren and seeing one of them suffering, this is after he'd been raised as a prince, um, he goes and he um, he talks to these two Jews who are fighting amongst themselves and says, why are you doing this? And one of them says to him, who made you ruler over, a ruler over right. us? I mean, the parallels between the Savior where you see this, I mean, here the prince of Egypt, it's a different thing, but he is the prince of Egypt who deigns to come and talk to his own people and say, Let's not do this amongst ourselves. And they don't want anything to mm -hmm. do with him. In fact, they, when he kills the man who is, is, um, who is smiting one of the um, Egyptians, right. I mean, one of the Hebrew slaves, later on somebody says, oh, he did that. You know, I mean, they, they are turning on Moses 
just like they turned on the Savior. And, um, and but he did, um, who made you a ruler? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Right. And he realizes that this is known and he needs to leave because right. they have laws. And then 40 years, he, he flees. And for 40 years, he is in um, the wilderness. I mean, and the Savior, 40 days, right? he fasted. I mean, it's, it's one after another, these parallels I'm embarrassed to say that until I read it this time, I had not appreciated how these stories paralleled. Mm -hmm. But believe me, as Stephen explained this to these men who were profoundly familiar with the story of Moses. They, they would have understood they, all these parallels as and well. And it was pricking at their hearts badly. Um, and and so he he draws this powerful description and then says this Moses which said unto the children of Israel a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me him shall ye hear and then he segues says, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and then their hearts turned back again to Egypt. So, you know, they they rejected Moses and they rejected the Savior. the Savior because this is he. I mean, he goes on, you know, and it's just so powerful. Mm -hmm. And there is no way, I don't think there is a way that many of them did not understand what he was saying. And... um. And yet, they were, you know, what were they going to do? They weren't going to embrace this. They weren't going to, it was, it would threaten, they felt the whole foundation upon which their power rested. No, I and, agree. And, I you agree. know, I think, I think it is really important collectively and individually that we understand there are things that feel threatening to us sometimes. But we need to be able to listen with open hearts we need to be able to allow for the possibility mm -hmm. that the ways that we're doing, the ways we're doing things are the ways we're doing it. They are not necessarily the gospel. And I, I know that you have written quite a bit about this, um, Nylon, about things that are our traditions, but may not be, they, they may not be good for us to hold on to because we need to let go of things. Well, and it might the, it be the gospel. You know, there's not a difference the gospel, between the traditions but with and the practices, gospel. Mm -hmm. with who speaks where, who does this. There are things that are ordained, you know, of, you know that are part of the gospel, and there are things that are just practices. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to be aware that being so tied to these um, traditional ways of looking at things made it very difficult for these leaders in the temple, the Sadducees, to just listen to what Stephen was saying and say, wow, we hadn't thought of it that way. No, I think that's really powerful. And and I, especially I wanted to go to what he says very specifically, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. 
you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. And I think that's really powerful, this idea of resisting the Holy Ghost. You know, he is bearing a strong and fervent testimony with, you know, it's very logical. You know, he's going straight through the law, you know, and and having just gotten a law degree, I completely understand what that kind of logical sequence has to be when you're dealing with the law. Yes. And that's what he's doing here. He's setting up a case Powerful. and, you know, to the council and to these judges that are judging him, and they can't deny it. If I can add just one thing. So so the setting of this scene is Stephen talking to a particular audience, but I think one of the things that I love to do is often um, look at the motivation behind the writing of a text, right? Mm-hmm. And so you look at it in the broader context of what is the author trying to accomplish with this text? Because authors always have motives, right? They always have agendas. Um, and... And looking at the author's agenda in the Bible is especially helpful, Old Testament especially, Hebrew Bible, like looking at who was writing it and what they were trying to, you know, who they were trying to put forward as the chosen people, you know, who the enemies were, who they were, all the political sort of machinations that went behind that, right? But I think it's really important here too, it gives a whole other perspective because what's happening here is... Peter has just referred to the church for the very first time in the preceding chapter. Mm-hmm. And then we get this weird little logistical, practical bit at the beginning of chapter six where they're like, hey, people aren't getting fed and things aren't getting cleaned. And right. So all of a sudden you have this idea that like the church is more than just those followers of Christ, those people that were witnesses to his resurrection. And with that comes a need to return to founding stories and founding texts. And because if 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 Stephen's only talking to Jews, they don't need to hear the entire history of the people of Israel wandering in the desert and building a tabernacle for 40 right. years and all of Moses' history, right? He could have just said, hey, you remember Moses, right? And they would have been like, yeah, yeah, we get that. Because the story of the Exodus is, you know, that's you the did. founding text. That's the founding story. So, in, in, so I think when you take... And you're like, well, why does Luke spend valuable, so valuable uh, resources right. and valuable repeating effort story. repeating an entire story. story that's told yeah. so many other times? I think it's because you see the church here, as it's just been you know, called, starting this idea of like, we've got new people to initiate Right, and part of that is you tell them your origin story. You tell mm-hmm. them about Joseph yeah. Smith. You tell them about the pioneers. You tell them about Moses, because they're moving into spheres pretty quickly that don't know those stories as well, right? And so it's That's the same. So that same. It's this is the same parallel. It has echoes of Abinadi because Abinadi does this exact same thing. Yep. It's like you've forgotten this story, and we got all these Book of Mormon verses about the story of Moses. It's the same thing. You're like, why the heck is this story in here? We all know this so well. And I think it's we see this story in particular coming up when, when prophets are trying to initiate new groups into the story of God's kingdom, right, mm-hmm. which extended far beyond that, that very moment, far back beyond that very moment. No, that's beautiful. You think of Moroni appearing to Joseph Smith three times, right, in that night, and, you know, repeating it over and over again. Mm -hmm. I know having homeschooled my children and thinking they should have learned things because I taught it to them, (laughs) realizing I have to teach it to them over and over and over again, 
And in the, of course, in the Old Testament, the sacred history is repeated over and over. I was thinking they have to listen to it over and over in Acts, you know, because Peter says it, Stephen says it, Paul says it. But I think what you've, you've added great light to that, Nylon, that it isn't only to their audience, the supposed audience. Mm -hmm. It is the, to this church that has grown, that they understand these parallels because these are right. people who weren't brought up with the Old Testament necessarily. No, and, no. and you know, the, the, the canon of the Hebrew Bible was still in, in flux, and this That's canon right. was in flux, and you didn't know where people were going to be getting their information, so exactly. you might as well repeat it all. Well, and I also love the way that they bring in the Holy Ghost, because in many ways, this idea of the gift of the Holy Ghost is also something that is brought in very much by the Savior in the New Testament. And then we just read about the day of Pentecost last time, and um, where you know he specifically talks about how they are resisting the Holy Ghost. And then he says here, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they crowd. And at that point, when he says that, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And for me, that, you know, this idea of resisting the Holy Ghost, I mean, they were not just resisting. They're like, no, I don't want to hear this anymore. And and they are, you know, just, it, it's pretty amazing to me to and see that. The, the other thing that's interesting, Mariana, because we do talk about the gift of the Holy Ghost, but, but um, Stephen is telling the high priest and all these people have not received the gift of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost, certainly, you're resisting the Spirit because we know that the Holy Ghost acts in many ways. Mm -hmm. And we can, we are given the gift of the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost is omnipresent and works on men. And he knew that they needed to, they must have hurt, felt it, and they were resisting it. And they were resisting it. But and it's interesting, right, that... That that here too they they obviously felt yes something it goes back to that prick that their did. hearts right yes and, and he knew that they could feel it and so it's interesting you know I go back to some of the things that we said last week in terms of this idea of pricking your hearts or feeling something that causes you to do something but when we look at this what did it cause them to do what did they respond. And, and that's something for all of us to think about. You know, when we have a pricking of the hearts, when we have feelings from the Spirit, are we resisting? Or like Stephen, he was full of the Holy Ghost. And because of that fullness, he is given uh, an amazing vision. And then here, he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, which of course is just like the Savior saying at the time of his death. The other thought that came to me was in Doctrine and Covenants section 121, when I was thinking about Joseph Smith and Liberty Jail, and some of the similarities between what Stephen was experiencing and what the prophet was experiencing during that time, and specifically the very last verse of, of this poignant section in the Doctrine and Covenants where the Savior's teaching Joseph Smith about this horrible experience that he's having 
but what he has to look forward to. And I think of this horrible experience that Stephen was going through and what he had to look forward to. But in the last verse, it says, the Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion. And I thought of this verse here that we have about Stephen. And thy scepter, an unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth, and thy dominion shall be an everlasting dominion without compulsory means. It shall flow unto thee forever. And I just feel like Stephen is such an amazing example, just like Joseph Smith, who also gave up his life, of that beautiful vision of what the Holy Ghost can become. For each of us, hopefully, we don't have to go through these terrible, as but, many terrible experiences as Stephen or the prophet had to go through. You know, Mariana, that's a beautiful parallel that I had not. Those two scriptures juxtaposing them is is very powerful to me. When, as I was reading again these stories of Stephen, I I was thinking about um, the truth that bad things happen to good people a lot. And it's really important for us to understand that, that sometimes really bad things, really unfair things, and sometimes people who are viewing it from the outside don't understand that. And I think that we do, it is so important for us to each develop that intimate relationship with the Lord so that we can have confidence in Him when things are not going well exactly on the outside and and we may have been spared but you know for example i know of course many people in my family latter day and before my time who i some i know from their histories and what people who have known them told me and others i know because i've seen their lives what extraordinary wonderful really almost saintly people they were mm -hmm. and they experienced enormous trials and tribulation in this life. One thing that, that we know is that if we have that relationship with the Holy Ghost and we seek it and we hold fast to it, it can help us go through even the darkest things. I with, agree. With seeing that light, hopefully, uh, on the other side, you know, and, and that, that that illuminates the darkest corners. Well, and Nylon, no, I was just going to say, I, I am so excited that you have your New Testament uh, <laughs> there. Yes, the, the, the new, new one. Latter-day Saints. Um, but I, I would love for you to share some insights. Well, I actually, too. yes, I have a question. For those of you who have your Old Testament, mm -hmm. would you look up Leviticus 24, 14? I'll look it up. Because there's an interesting note here that says, the practice of stoning conforms to the law presented in Leviticus twenty four fourteen. Yes. Oh, I look at that. I look and I just think... Okay. It, yes, what does that say, Annette? Here it is. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. Okay, so this is very interesting, because this complicates the story, Right. I mean, the way we've positioned these characters is very black and white so far, right? You got Stephen who's doing everything right. He's testifying boldly. He's speaking through the power of the Spirit. And then you've got all these evil people who are refusing to hear it, and they kill him Stopping violently. Stopping their ears. Stopping their running, ears. Right. But what if they think they're following a commandment mm -hmm. from the law of Moses? And th which we know 
that, you know, a stark contrast is set up between Paul, who was with them. Yes. He, right. Paul was that. with them. And Paul, I mean, they're gathering the clothes. Paul, gathering, right? in great sincerity, thought thinks he was he's doing, doing the right, the right thing. thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. many of them may have. And I think that that there, there are those who may have, in fact, been doing it because they did not want to hear. But there are others who simply, within the sphere of knowledge and understanding exactly. that they had, this was blasphemy. Exactly. Right? And I think right. we have to have a lot of compassion for that. Thank because, you. Because, I mean, I think <laughs> we're still, like, barely five weeks away. I mean, maybe we're, like, within a year now, yes. right? Because things have moved on. But I think, you know, yeah, we have to have a lot of compassion for the fact that, okay, so these people, in hindsight, they end up doing a terrible thing. But in the moment, they know the law of Moses. They know it so well that they know the, they can identify the crime and the punishment. They feel moved upon to act on the law of Moses. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just a lot more Life is, and that's what life is, right? Life is always much more so, complicated. I, as I read these scriptures, I just think people immerse yourself in them because it will be such a comfort as you go through life, which is complicated which and is demanding. Complicated. And we have great joy and we have great sadness and we have yeah. lots of complication within the faith. You know, people who we contend with and we yeah. shouldn't contend with them as the, the um, prophet says. I find that it is so easy now that I live alone, to be peaceful and full of goodwill all the time <laughs> when I'm like, but it's different when suddenly you have yeah. lots of people with lots of different ideas and lots of different people going different directions. It's more challenging. Well, yeah. and if I could just interject, so so I've done a lot of advocacy work, which means that I have something I believe in strongly and I'm trying to persuade other people to come to my particular attitude, right? Um, And one of my cardinal rules of advocacy is that there are no villains. And whether or not that's actually true, it's incredibly important to go into any sort of confrontational situation assuming that nobody has a malicious intent. Mm -hmm. Or a monopoly on the truth. Or a monopoly on the truth, right? I think that is so valuable and i think that is just a wonderful gift that there are no villains yeah and you have to you have to go in understanding people's motivations mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and i think that when we read the scriptures too often we turn things into black and white like how here, here. he had the face of an angel how obvious could it have could been it. Right? right they obviously right. were just right. stupid and dumb and not in touch with the spirit right but a little tiny detail like that all of a sudden is like wow they had a motivation right. for doing this thing, this horrible thing that in hindsight we see as horrible because we're looking at it from the narrative just perspective like of Stephen and right and Peter. Um, anyway, I just I think it's always good to to check ourselves and not fall into that trap because um, again, it, 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 yeah, you ha- and again going back to that idea of like why are these texts written? You know, for instance. When the Israelites finally go into Canaan and they slaughter and massacre everybody, you're like, um, what? Like, (laughs) what is happening? And how it, because the Canaanites, God loved the Canaanites too. Our God loved the Canaanites too. We have to believe that, right? So, why are they telling us that story? Well, they're telling us because ethnic domination was really important, being this chosen people, they were establishing 
their right to a land, but also a, a spiritual promise and an ecclesiastical power in the priesthood, right? So you, so I don't know. I, I, I just that's one exercise I, I love to go through, and I think this is another example of it. Of like, why are they writing this? And what were the other people thinking? Because right. it's rarely malicious and it's rarely like purely evil. As someone who is a daughter of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the house of Judah, I really appreciate that perspective. Because I know, for example, I mean, of course, unfortunately, there is a thing called anti-Semitism, which, which is true, which, which is, is roused by the way that the Bible eventually was Mm-hmm. brought mm-hmm. to us, which it was changed over the years, you know, and it was changed to become a Gentile book rather than a Jewish book, which it really was. And unfortunately, some of those changes created a narrative that resulted in horrible anti-Semitism practiced over and over again as an evil, just, you know, where right. people thought it was okay to in Russia, let's take Fiddler on the Roof, you know, to go and annihilate villages of people, lots of them, to, in pogroms. And then, you know, on the large scale in the last century, where a civilized nation was willing to throw into the gas chamber six million people. Oh, and unfortunately, looking at things a little too simplistically can provoke that. Yeah, I mean, you can see that because we've been, we've been talking about the words of Peter, like, hey... You killed the author of life, and you know, in verse the verses that you just read, Mariana, you stiff-necked people, right? You resist the. It's really strong. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Mm -hmm. You know, he he's he's even sarcastic there. You killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and you are betrayers and murderers. I mean, that's Peter, the leader of the Christian world. Peter is also. So you can see too. You know. Well, yes, but you can see (laughs) how. You know, reading without that sensitivity, you're like, oh wow. Well, we're justified in 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 also accusing them of being yeah. Christ's murderers. Exactly. Well, and I think that also goes along with this idea of having the Holy Ghost with you all the time. You know, as I said, whether you know, I, I talked specifically about how they were resisting the Spirit, but sometimes when we are accusatory in those ways, we're resisting the Spirit. Absolutely. And so that we need to make sure that we have the Spirit with us always. Elder um, Renland in the last conference made a really interesting statement as we talk about this as covenant people and having the Holy Ghost, and especially when we talk about the worldly flow. And, and I think that this is something that's really powerful when we think of both sides of this story. He says, as you walk the covenant path from baptism to the temple and throughout life, I promise you power to go against the natural worldly flow. And, you know, this was a problem on both sides for Stephen and also for the Pharisee council. Power to learn, power to repent and be sanctified and power to find hope, comfort and even joy as you face life's challenges. And I do think that though Stephen's joy here at the end is pretty amazing as he's going through this this awful death of stoning. But on the other hand, I do agree that this idea of the natural worldly flow, it's so easy to go down that natural worldly flow of pointing fingers, of saying, oh, they're wrong, I'm right. And I think that through the Spirit, we can understand the, the full picture and, and, you know, Mariana, I love this idea of Stephen's face, which is like an angel. We need to look into one another's faces. You know, we are 
we have people who have very different ideas and they vilify one another and decide that people who believe this are that way and people who believe this are another way. We need to look into the faces of people. And we may often find that people who have, for example, political beliefs that are very different from our own, when you look into their faces, they are good people. They are people who want to do the right thing. And they may just see the world differently than we do. And that's and that is something that in a free society, like mm-hmm. our society is supposed to be, we are supposed to be able to live together peacefully and cooperatively. And that's, I think, something, that's why the foundations of our freedom are so important to preserve. Well, before we get to the story of Paul, I did want to talk about Philip, because we have these two interesting stories of Philip. And when we talk about going to people who are different, the first story is with him talking to the people of Samaria. And as we talk about, you know, the Samaritans, we, you know, we have the woman at the well in John 6, and the fact that, you know, the Savior at that point, he actually, we already read it once, but when the Savior is talking to the apostles and telling them to go forth to all the world, he specifically says Samaria. And so um, Philip goes to the Samaritans, and then the second story is about Philip, through the Holy Ghost, going to an Ethiopian and so for me, I think it's interesting. We have these two groups of people who are not Jews. You know, we have Samaria and also an Ethiopian who Philip is told to go preach the gospel. So in the first one, we have him talking to about to, to the people there. And, you know, and many uh, were healed and you have this, and there was great joy in that city when Philip comes and preaches to them. But this interesting story that he puts in is about Simon. And uh, Simon, for me, is a fascinating character because he is using sorcery to, you know, to get people to believe in him. And as he goes, you, you kind of get the feel, though, at this beginning, he does believe in Philip. You know, he oh, is a, yes. a man, a, yeah. a, oh, a believer. And then he, along with many others, and is with moved. He, he's moved. He is moved. But there's still this part of him, which is interesting, yeah. where he sees the money signs, you know. You know, well, how many people in church are like that? You know, I mean, you have a lot of people in church <laughs> who have money signs, too, you know, whether it's for this thing or that. You know, it is not, this is a, a quality of men. And certainly for this man, for whom it was his, it was his, his livelihood, livelihood. Right. his livelihood. I mean, you see that over and over again, that when livelihoods are threatened, people aren't so interested. Um, I love the character of Nicodemus in The Chosen. Have you? Oh, I you, haven't seen it on The Chosen. Oh, oh, he's oh, just, wonderful. Know, a, oh my gosh. He's it, I mean, his character, character they, build, they build out his character so beautiful. I mean, oh, all I of it is. watch it because you know, I mean, he's my, I love, I have a special love. Oh, I just, I mean, I love the way they handle all the characters, but Nicodemus is especially wonderful because they, because of this exact tension, right? They have, they establish so well how this was his livelihood and he right. thought he was doing a really good thing. He was trying to be the best person possible. Again, complicating the narrative. Yes. Um, and he just, yeah, I mean, when, when Christ invites him to, to come and, and walk away from everything, you very realize, you realize very deeply as the viewer 
Oh, that, that's, that's good. more than just giving up attitudes. Episodes. But this is at the core, you know, as as someone who understands how wonderful Jewish people are, how good they are, how much how they serve their communities, how and how they serve the world because Jews feel a real obligation to serve the world. Mm -hmm. You know, anti-Semitism is such a horrible thing to me. But when you read the scriptures, you realize, oh, no wonder people think that because they keep saying the Jews this, the Jews that. And they don't put forward a complete picture right. of who these people were and what their lives were. But, and with, with this sorcerer, I mean, he's sort of, he along with everyone is, Wow. He's in and awe. And then you put their hands on them and give them that gift for the Holy Ghost. How much does that cost to do that? I'd I, like to be able I, to do I that. I want too. to know. You know, it's, I think this is what, um, I'm very grateful to Nyland for identifying this problem that we can be very, we can too quickly say, oh, it's out there. I loved when President Nelson said that, you know, in the conference that, that we should be peacemakers. And, and he smiled and said, I'm sure there are many of you who are just thinking, I hope so-and-so is listening to this talk, you know. But he said, but I really want you to listen to this talk. And I think that with this, every character in the scriptures, we should not be pointing. We should say, what is of us in that mm -hmm. character? Mm -hmm. What do we have to learn from this person? I agree. And I think there is something to learn from this sorcerer who wants to buy the ability. Well, and to... now that you say that, I kind of look at Peter's response, and maybe I would say it in a different tone of voice, where Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God." Initially, when I read that, it was more like, you know, Peter pointing at him, but maybe it was said in love and Your compassion money will with thee, you and, know. you know, repentance and, you know, you and need what to understand this and repent. You know, I mean, what happens repent. next? I mean, you, you have to say that that um, that what what he says is. Um, First he asks for the power, and then he says, you know, thy money. And then and then he says, you know, that these bad things may befall you. And Simon says, pray ye to the Lord for me. So he is trying. That nothing trying. of what you have said will come upon me. There's an incredible yeah. pathos in that, right? There is. There is. Because it's that same kind of thing. It's like, I can't, you know. I, he is. I, he I is. have too much wrapped up in this. I can't do what what yeah you're asking me to do but well, but it's it's a still it an a expression of, of faith it is that's what it's an expression of faith from his place where it's hard to make that pivot yeah right exactly away. that and, complete change yeah i mean we all know it does take a lot of yeah. work to repent and, and it's not always overnight and it's and it's oftentimes there are things ongoing i mean there are for each of us things that we need to repent of and that's why and I I don't think I would have been nearly so charitable if somebody had just yelled at me the way Peter had yelled at me. I'd be like I'm out of here <laughs> 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 so I mean it's actually yes. quite a, a humble I faith, love that. faith filled statement and and you know I think that it is it is actually an example for us to be able to look I always I repeat to my children so many times when they have challenging situations 
um, that quote from Joseph Smith that when people assailed him and criticized him and did all manner of evil against him wrongly, he's nevertheless, he listened carefully and he said, if there was anything, I listen carefully to what people say, if there's any piece of it that I feel resonates, I try to take that piece and make myself a better person and be grateful for it, for that, for that piece they gave me, something I can look at in myself mm -hmm. that maybe I haven't. And the rest I let run off like water off a duck's back, you know? And, and I think this is a good example too, that Peter really rails on him and he's like, oh, please pray that none of that happens to me. Well, and the reason why I want to point this out is Simon is a Samaritan. And think of, we had the woman at the well where we had this interesting, also kind of heart-changing moment for her. And at the beginning, she's not as receptive as we would hope that she would be. But boy, when she realizes it's, almost, you know, a very similar statement in, you know, where she, pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And, and so I just, I love the heart of these Samaritans. Yeah. And yet they are not Jews. A matter of fact, they are looked down upon by the Jewish people. Oh, yes. And then we have this story of the Ethiopia, the man from Ethiopia. And the Lord spake unto Philip and said, Arise and go toward the south into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem into Gaza, where is the desert. And as he's there, I love there is this, this eunuch who also is a, um, you know, he's in charge of all her treasures. Of all of Candace's treasures, the queen of the Ethiopians. Yeah. He must be so a, a lot. big guy. He's, he's, I mean, he's very important and mm -hmm. very powerful and very well-to-do. And yet, how faithful. Uh, this I love these stories because we were very involved with helping to, well, to start a whole process, I want to say that, of bringing Ethiopian Jews who were um, in Ethiopia. Their name was the Falashas, which means the outsiders. They weren't, they weren't, um, they were, and they were dealing with a lot of persecution within Ethiopia. And Israel created an airlift and brought thousands of Ethiopians to Israel. Oh, how wonderful. And they, and um, we were involved with that. And then, of course, I have a great love for Ethiopians in general because one of my daughters-in-law is Ethiopian. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, and we have this experience where he's worshiping, he's reading the words of Isaiah, so faithful. And we completely understand how difficult it is to understand the words of Isaiah. He's like a Mormon, and, right? I'm reading these. You oh, I, I know. And the interesting thing here is the Spirit says to Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Now, you know, this is obviously a man of wealth, of position. And as we've seen, the people of wealth and position oftentimes don't like people like Philip. And so I'm sure that that was a matter of faith, you know, thinking, okay, I'm putting myself in peril. And then Philip ran thither, which I really like. I mean, the Spirit tells him to go, and he doesn't just saunter or go, you know, slowly, but he ran to him, and then he heard him reading out loud the words of Isaiah, and he asked him, well, understandest thou what thy readest? And he said, how can I? except some man shall guide me. And so Philip sits down with him, and he teaches him 
from the words of Isaiah. And then he also has this wonderful baptism moment where, see here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip says, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and I just love that. And so he was baptized by Philip, which is an interesting comment because of what we're going to be reading in just a few verses about the uncircumcised and the problem with the early Christian church in terms of who should be baptized. But I wanted to just talk about this for a moment. I know I just kind of went over the story, but thoughts that you have of what we can learn from this beautiful it's story a of Ephesians. story to me. I don't it know. Is. It really moves me to tears. I'm sorry, but it does. And, and I love, you know, this Ethiopian man who's there. He's from Ethiopia, but he's there in Israel. And he is reading the scriptures and trying to understand them. The, the parallel between members of the church who, read, who find Isaiah hard is really touching to me. I, interestingly, the words of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon were the ones that were the most powerful to me when I was first, when I was reading as I was studying the gospel with the thought of, is this true? Mm -hmm. And the, when I read the words of Isaiah, I felt the spirit as if it was just pouring down on me. And then I looked and I said, well, wait, these come, these are from the Bible, you know? I'm sorry about my phone. <laughs> anyway, um, these are from the Bible. But then I realized there would be no way that I would read these words if I wasn't reading them right now. Yes, I read the Bible, but there's so many words in there. And here were these words that were so powerful and meaningful to me. But that this Ethiopian man is there reading, that Philip receives this inspiration, and that he runs to him runs to him and runs to him. You, this should be our I know it is my my goal that I listen to the spirit and when I get inspiration from the spirit I don't second guess it I don't dismiss it but that I try to run to do what I've been asked to do so if I can maybe I maybe I'm going to add another element to the story here I love it Deuteronomy 23 one, mm -hmm. would you look that yes, up really quickly? So um, we referencing this Ethiopian as a man. He wasn't. He was a eunuch. A man. That's right. So what does De Deuteronomy 23, 1 say? He that is wounded in the stones or hath his privy member cut off shall not He's enter eunuch. into the congregation <laughs> of the Lord. So that's so. Yeah. So not only is he an Ethiopian, he's he's somebody who knows that he is cast out of the house of Israel, mm -hmm. right? So presumably he knows that, and he's still searching the words of Isaiah, and presumably Philip knows that, right? So so I just think it's really important to recognize that's so here good. that. That you know, this is it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> well, I just you know, I it's I think so important. It's always important to complicate these stories because that is real life. And so you have the issue of gender brought up here. You have the issue that somebody has been Mutilated. legalistically 
ex, you know, Extrated. expelled yeah. from the community um, because because of you know their their questionable gender, their their, and so Philip's actions I think are just more Amazing. even more powerful because of that, and he's setting an example for the way that missionary work and the church is going to grow from here on out. That's right, that we have to run to those who need us and not the ones who look like us or not the ones who seem to be of our Or the our ones Ill who your law is telling you explicitly to yeah. exclude. Exactly. Well, and Elder Suarez talked specifically about this account, and he said that this account of Philip and the Ethiopian is a reminder of the divine mandate that we all have to seek to learn and to teach one another the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are sometimes like the Ethiopian. We need the help of a faithful, inspired teacher, and we are sometimes like Philip. We need to teach and strengthen others in their conversion. So I love the way Elder Suarez talked about this because, of course, we were in Brazil when Elder Suarez was, was there in Brazil. And I think of a couple of times when we were teaching Brazilians, and I can remember this one young man who came in and there were a lot of gangs. We were in downtown Sao Paulo. That's where our mission was. And so he had piercings and gauges and tattoos, and he was a skate in a skater gang. And and I can remember just seeing him by the church and, you know, in my judgmental self, and I will acknowledge thinking, you know, there's no way this young man is is really interested in the church. I was completely wrong, and I am so thankful for people who ran to him and saw something different than what I saw, and he joined the church, completely changed, you know, got rid of a lot of the But piercing. it would have been okay if he hadn't changed either. But it, it would have, but he did go on a mission, too. I mean, he wanted to, and well, I'm just saying in the way that he looked, presented, or, right? Presented, and, and that's, presented himself. We have to be himself. careful. Yeah. those presentation. We have to be so careful. I have a wonderful friend who was a faithful member. She was when she was being taught by the missionaries. No, Nyland, you we know you from Yale, not from, um, <laughs> but not from New DC because I thought maybe you would know her. No, but um, Ginny, she had. The most amazing tattoos. All of, and when they were teaching her oh, about what's her name? Appointment. Oh, yes, yes, she was in my Ginny? Boston ward. Oh, she. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ginny gets around. Yes, yes. And Ginny, um, when when they taught her about the word of wisdom, she, one of her beautiful tattoos said "substance free," and she said, "She said, oh yes, see." But Ginny joined the church, but she faced a lot yeah. of persecution for these. This actually they're very beautiful, but these tattoos that she had acquired before she ever became a member, and she was a faithful, faithful member for many, many, many years. And unfortunately, it was a real turnoff um, to her. It wasn't the ultimate thing, but but I think we have to be so careful not to impose things that we have accepted for ourselves on others. Right. Well, can't we be more like Philip, who, when the Spirit told him to go to this man who looked different, who was an outcast, who, you know, Philip never on his own would have gone, still went and then freely taught him and baptized him and made him a part of the church, which is such a beautiful example for all of us. But to me, the example is the eunuch, <laughs> I must say, as much as to I have appreciate that faith, to have that as faith. much as I appreciate Philip, it's the eunuch 
who has the faith to be studying the scriptures, who had the humility to ask for help, and who had the openness to listen and to understand the truth as he heard it, and then say, what's to prevent me from being baptized? There's water right there. I mean, that kind of spirit, and I think we saw that in a lot of the early black members of church. Sure. I admire their faith so much. I don't know that we even can aspire to faith like the faith that they've demonstrated. Well, let's go to the wonderful story of Paul, you know, Saul at this point, who will become Paul. And um, does someone want to tell us the story of Saul and what's going to happen to him? I can tell you the story. You know, Paul was Saul, Saul, which is his name. It was his Hebrew name, mm -hmm. and in Greek, it's Saulus. So people sometimes think he was given a new name when he became a new man. No, Paul is just the Latin For version the Saul. of Saul, and I mm -hmm. think that's good to know. Um, was a faithful Jew, a very faithful Jew, and was outraged as I'm in the in in the context that Nylon sort of laid out mm -hmm. for us, as were others, at what he felt was an assault mm -hmm. on the fundamentals of Judaism. And blasphemous. And it, right. yes, blasphemous. People as claiming God, a God, mm -hmm. you know, who is mm -hmm. not a God, instead of worshiping the God of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And um, he was very committed to rooting this evil out before mm -hmm. it spread further than it had spread. And he was at, at this point with some of his companions leading a group who is going to Damascus to find Jews there who may have fallen prey to, to the these Christian teachings movement. because they knew that there were Jews who had. Mm -hmm. And on the road, as they were going to Damascus, he, a huge light, he sees a great mm -hmm. light. And the light blinds him, but the others, he sees something before he's blinded. He sees him, Jesus. The others do not see Jesus, but they do hear, hear voice. the voice that calls to him and asks him, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, who is a faithful man and who knows that great things have been done in the past by the Lord like this, says, who are you? And the words that he probably was not hoping to hear are, I am Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, he, you know, he, I'm sure, doesn't know quite what to make of it. He is He becomes blind, but he knows that he has seen Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Jesus then unfolds right. his and, story. And, and tells, tells him to go to Ananias. And tells him. Yeah, no, and to, tells him that to go he will see. go there, and mm -hmm. and but he also that he, and Ananias. So so he go he gets to Damascus blind, mm -hmm. and at the same time we have Ananias, mm -hmm. who is a faithful follower of Jesus, is um as he's praying. I think that he is told, oh. This man has come into Damascus, right. and you need to go to him. And Ananias is like, wait, no. You know, we know about this guy. Yeah, I've heard about him. Yes. And it's not a good thing. That's right. And and But he, I mean, again, showing great faith, he, and showing what it is, you know, 
it's wonderful when we know that the Lord has told us something mm -hmm. and then that we just have to do it. And Ananias knows that he's told to do something that makes no sense to him, mm -hmm. but he does it. And he comes into the house. I'm not looking at the scriptures right now, but maybe you can, you may. Uh, well, I just wanted to point out two things. First of all, um, the Lord says, go thy way for Saul is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And that's so powerful that, you know, that specifically he talks about Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel in that order, which I think is also interesting, especially that Luke was a missionary companion to, to Paul at that point. And so he would have borne witness that Paul did all those things, which I think is also powerful. But I also love, you know, why did he have to pick Saul? You know, why did he have to pick this guy who just had been there when like Steve the prodigal son to, agreed to the death of um, Stephen, why didn't he pick somebody good from the church already? Right, or my, myself, yeah, Ananias, or, right, loyal right, disciple. Yeah, yeah exactly. why am I getting left behind? Exactly, just... but this is, I think this is so important for us to understand the way that the Lord calls people. Mm -hmm. He knows who is right for that responsibility. And Saul had the tools and the passion I mean, the same passion with which he was going to persecute the Christians, he would He's then bring take to, Christianity. to push it forward. And he was probably very well learned. You know, that's the other thing that many of these disciples, though I know, Mar Mariana, sometimes you thought maybe they come from well-to-do families, but no, they came from a dip. They may have been doing okay, you know, mm -hmm. as fishermen, but they came from a low rung in society. I mean, even the... Um, the priests in the temple when when um, Peter was preaching and John, he said, they realized these were unlearned men. Right. How did they know these things so well? How did they know the histories so beautifully? Mm -hmm. These things were taught to them by the Savior himself, which, so they had had a good instruction. But Saul knew them from years of, of careful study. study. Yep. He was extremely literate and extremely literate in more than one language. Mm -hmm. And the Lord knew this was his he man. was the one. That's right. And and Joseph Smith, I mean, there's a perfect parallel there. It's completely different, but the same. I, have, I think I've told you before that my friend Ben Sandoval, who has Down syndrome and who is beloved to us, I've known him since he's three and he's now over well over 40. But Ben always says different, but the same. And I would say with Joseph Smith and Saul, different but the same. Mm -hmm. Why on earth would the Lord restore his church through this unlearned young man? Right. He knew something that wasn't obvious to others and that this man would have the passion and the power to take it forward. So I, and I love the testimony of Ananias because he put his hands on Paul and said, brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight therefore and arose and was baptized. And there goes that same spirit of Philip of running, you know, and doing what the Holy Ghost tells him to. You know, Saul has that same spirit of just immediately arising and went and was baptized immediately, which is pretty amazing. 
Well, we're going to end today with uh, a story that for me is is so gentle and beautiful, and especially since it has to do with women. And I just love the story of Dorcas or Tabitha. I think most modern people like the word, the name Tabitha a little bit better than Dorcas. But we have this beautiful story of, of Tabitha who was sick and died, whom they had washed and they laid her in this upper chamber. And, uh, you know, all the people there in Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there and they sent unto him two men desiring that he should not delay to come to them. And Peter went and was there. And when he come, they brought him to the upper chamber and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and knelt down, prayed, turning him to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. What does this story mean to you? Nyland, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think there's an obvious parallel to um, the Savior uh, raising Jairus's daughter. You know, we have we have a number of women actually figure pretty prominently in the raising of the dead by by Jesus. You know, I mean, you have Lazarus, but of course, his sisters are integral to that story as well. Um, so I, I do think that um, you know this being sort of a new pinnacle in Peter's power to act in faith, right? Um, I think that, I, you know, I see it as another testament of women being the primary witnesses, right? I mean, because essentially... Of the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. Of, of the resurrection, because essentially Tabitha is being the first to witness Peter's ability to, you know, essentially control on earth what um, what should be controlled by heaven. Um, so I, I do think it's very significant that it's a woman. I think that, um, you know, she's, she's described as a disciple in, in verse 36. Um, and there's wonderful scholarship that's been done, um, specifically, uh, around the words that are used to describe the women in the new Testament. And, um, they're not different words, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is a feminized version here of the word um, disciple. Uh, it says in these notes, she is referred to as a disciple using the same noun in its feminine form that is used to describe Jesus's 12 disciples. Mm -hmm. um, so, Interesting. yeah, I think, yeah. you know, once you, delve, wonderful. Once you del delve into the sort of, you know, manipulation of the language um, by more modern sources and translations, you recognize that there's probably a whole um, sort of hidden story. Yeah, there's it's there's a differently. There's a there's a whole way that this story could be written differently, mm -hmm. where where these women are are much more centered in the story, more prominent um, than we have it today. That's, I mean, that one piece of translation i i i have really come to cherish as i've read robert alter the things mm -hmm. that he's written the books he's written how translation is so 
literal translation mm-hmm. because we know Joseph Smith had a whole different way of yeah. translating by inspiration. Yeah. But to take that one word and to realize it is the feminized version of the word that was used to refer to, to his the 12, yeah, right. 12, 12 apostles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a very powerful piece of truth. It's like knowing Elohim is a plural. Yeah. Right? Well, thank you so much. I just wanted to end with a thought from Sister Bonnie Carden from last conference where um, she's remembered, she talked about her, her dad who talked to her about having ALS and he told her something that had struck with her for the rest of her life. And he said, Bonnie, never give up an opportunity to testify of Christ. And as I thought of the stories that we have been studying in the Acts, how wonderful to be able to also have that in our hearts, that we constantly testify of Christ. And just like Tabitha, just like Philip, just like Peter, just like Stephen. So thank you for this great discussion. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to learn to be more bold. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nyland. 